The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. Nice to see you all here. This is episode 29 of The Boys of Tech for Monday the 10th of August 2009. I'm Edwin Herman and helping me host the show, Brett King. Welcome along. Hello. Brett, who's just had some satay, I understand. Indeed. It was very yummy. I'm full. I have some of it left for to get back to after we finished. But. Oh. Oh, that's that's so nasty. I'm star. I'm starving, hungry. I've had dinner, but I'm starving, hungry. And you're <laughs> you're making it worse. You're making us you sh- all hungry. You should have had more food. I should have had ordered satay like you did. Indeed. Well, in this week we've got a few stories to talk about. Some good things happening. Some bad things happening. In fact, I'll tell you what. We'll start off on a bad note. Uh, we'll get that over and done with. It's the Twitter and Facebook outage, or at least massive slowdown, if anything. Mm. Yeah, they've been, the, the two networks have been under attack from, well, somewhere in Eastern uh, Europe, we believe. One, one, the, the, basically, they were targeting a blogger from the Republic of Georgia. And, uh, you know, they, they basically performed a distributed denial of service attack on both networks. And I'll tell you what, even now, Twitter is actually not fully functional because I've, I've been trying to get in there and it just, every now and again, it will just, drop your connection wow it's really affected twitter yeah tw- yeah twitter runs on Macs, which is interesting this, this, <laughs> this could be a good test for the apple platform unfortunately it's not really proving too too no hard. it's not it's <laughs> not at all because <laughs> while yes the the attacks happened on multiple different services uh twitter being the most severely affected but also facebook and um was it he, uh, a live journal i think as yeah, well live journal yeah we're all affected to some extent, but yeah, it's <laughs> it brought Twitter down. <laughs> did, did, did you try logging into Facebook during that period? I didn't find out about it until the event had finished. Because I understand that you know there are some reports that Facebook just wasn't working at all, but I understand other people were. You knew some people. Yeah, yeah. A friend of mine um, said she didn't notice anything. She had no problems. She was online through the entire time. Wonder if it depends where you are, or or whether it's just certain people. Uh, where you are, what you're doing on yeah. it. Regardless, it was it was certainly uh, reduced service. That's for sure. Mm. And all a coordinated attack on one person. How crazy! It's politically yeah. motivated, isn't it? That's well, what, you'd assume so. That's, that's what it sounds <laughs> you'd like. You'd assume there was. It, it wasn't, you know, one neighbour being really, really annoyed with another. <laughs> and so deciding to leverage the whatever botnet they've got access to to bring up a big denial of service attack on all of the different places that this your neighbor goes to. I would assume that it would be some sort of politically motivated attack. It makes you wonder though, does, do you think they use an existing botnet or did they sort of build their own thing? Has this been brewing for a while, I wonder? Oh, there's, you know, there's, 
several po- well, quite a few botnets out there actually so so can, any, can anyone say, lease them can, are these up for lease if i want to yes could you it- can you can <laughs> through the surreptitious criminal underworlds contact people who control botnets and lease botnet time that's scary isn't it it is it is imagine if that's the the power of the computers currently under control of all of these botnets you know this tens of thousands of these things out there. Imagine if somebody who wasn't a criminal got hold of that and was able to use that processing power for something else. Yeah, because that's, that's really one massive excrete, isn't it? Evil. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's basically a huge, you could use that as a huge grid computer. A super, you could. But kind of, to, you know, to perform the task of a, of a supercomputer. As you said, that could be really great for the science community. Well, unfortunately, they they tend to be used for bad things, not good things, as as is the case oh, for a lot of it, And really, there's there's far too many legal and logistical things to prevent, you know, legitimate use of a botnet because the botnet itself is not legitimate. So yeah, it's got potential for an enterprising scientist willing to bend the rules, I guess. But I don't think you'll find many. No, like, yeah, like you especially say, especially who don't have access to their own supercomputers. Well, yeah, that's true because it, there are we know there are some some supercomputers available that that can be leased as well for you know number crunching. So yeah, yeah, be interesting to see if they're you know able to be leased for as cheap as these botnets are. Yeah, we should do a price comparison. <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting. Mm. I have no idea how much it, it costs to uh, to lease a botnet. I, 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 in fact, I wouldn't know who to ask. Where to go? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Suppose you go to one of those hacker conferences and you pass your card around and, I don't know, maybe do a secret handshake. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> All right. Well, the, the biggest news this week really is News Corp is wanting to charge for online content. Yeah, they want to charge. Good old Rupert wants to charge for everything. Yeah, look, I, I here's what I say. Good luck to him. Yeah, exactly. The number of places that once you've got <laughs> once you've offered something for free, people aren't going to want to pay for it. If you then decide, oh, now you're going to have to pay for it, people generally stop using it and go somewhere else. Well, that model has been shown already to to fail. I, I don't know how quite how. Whether he's got a point of difference there that that he hasn't said, but if it's just charging for for content like it's been done before, I can't. I don't understand why it would work now when it didn't before. Exactly, uh, unless there is a significant point of difference, or unless he can, you know, leverage his um gigantic corporate network to prevent other sites from having any of the stories or information that has. His does, so that his is the only source, and you have to pay for that source. Well, he definitely has size on his side, that's for sure, as you he said. He does have size on his side, but that's you just need you know one place offering it for free, and that completely blows your business model out of the water. Well, that's so long as people know about it. See, I I do wonder that because his network is so huge, maybe it may work simply. The, the others that aren't part of his network will decide, well, we could charge as well. And before you know it, everyone's charging. 
At the end of the day, look, if you operated a news site that was publishing news for free and everyone around you was charging for it, wouldn't you instead think, well, I could make a buck out of this? Yeah, yeah, but not everybody thinks like that. There are those people out there, the libertarians, who will go, no, I'm going to provide this for free and I will make my money a different way, maybe off the advertising or on the, the website. But there are, yeah, there are plenty of people out there who will, you know, take up the banner as it is and present the information for free. I think the one thing that he does have for him is that he has the names. He's got the well-known names, all of those places where, which, you know, when you hear the name, you go, okay, then that's maybe the premier source of information on that particular type of thing. So he's got names like the Daily Telegraph and Wall Street Journal. So so maybe the idea is this, that if you're looking at one of the news sites and it, you have to pay and you decide, oh, look, I'm going to go somewhere else and you go to some other site, it too is one of his you know, collection of media sites and so also wants you to pay. So you go to something else and you think, oh, well, I'll try something different yet again. But uh, every time you try, you end up, because he owns so much of the well-known sites, you yeah. end up on one of his sites. And so Precisely. unless you go looking for something less known, less well-known, and takes you longer to find, maybe you're just going to decide, well, look, I'll just open up my wallet, hand over my credit card, and be done with it. I wonder if that's the idea. Simply because, as you said, he, he owns the highly trafficked sites. Yeah, he owns the names. So perhaps it will work. The Wall Street Journal's been doing subscriptions for a little while and has been, you know, apparently having some success, but it's got it's got a very specific market. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah, very niche. So, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's got an incredibly niche market. And that market is a market of people, you know, who have money and are quite possibly have themselves or their corporates with subscriptions and it's no skin off their nose but it will be the generic stuff the the, the papers the newspaper section which will be the the interesting one to see whether or not a subscription online subscription um, will actually work seeing as for most of that information you can get it elsewhere for free yeah I, as you and say he doesn't know in, and while he owns a lot of the, the news media, he doesn't own it all. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And as you say, that the niche stuff, like, you know, the Wall Street Journal is, is very targeted. It's a great publication, serves its audience very well. And because of that, you know, you can you can charge for content. But for, as you say, for something, for general news sites, I, I don't quite know how, I mean, I wouldn't pay for news. No, no. It's, <laughs> you can, you know, Read the newspaper or go to stuff in New Zealand and you get it free. Or Google. So what would you news you know? So what would you do if every site on the internet now this is very hypothetical, but if every news site charged so there was nowhere on the internet that you could get news for free, what would you do? Mm. Cause that that's a I mean It's an interesting thing. I don't know quite how likely that I, is, but it's yeah, an interesting it's, question to ponder, isn't it? it? Yeah, it really depends on the sort of person you are. There are people who can't live without the newspaper, so they have the newspaper delivered. I'm not one of those people. I, I'll read the newspaper if it's in front of me and I've got nothing better to do, but I won't go out of my way to pick up a newspaper. 
Now, I read stuff almost every day because it's free. That's a and, new site here in New Zealand, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, the New Zealand news site because it's free and it gives me all of the information that I'd want in, from the newspaper and I don't have to go and find it and I don't have to pay for it. But if I had to pay for the news, I'd probably go back to the point in time it was where I didn't care <laughs> what was happening in the rest of the world and didn't know about it until right, somebody so, told me. Right, so so you, you may well drop the, the you know the need to, to be informed. Yeah, yeah, and she's, and get it. From, you might get it maybe from radio or TV. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Watch the six o'clock news. Because if and he kicks this off, I wonder if others will follow. That that's kind of my worry, if you like. That you know he'll kick it off. The other big ones will follow. So sure, you might get the ones that are run by people who are happy to to have banner ads, but they might be the minority that are simply hard to find. You really need to look to find them. Well, the thing with those is that if they are the the you know the free fish in a pay-for pond, they will become known. Yeah. One of them will pick up the ba- banner and it will get known. And, and that's, know, where you, that's where you go for free news, basically. Yeah. It'll become known as the place you go for free news and suddenly you, it'll just, yeah, word of mouth. And the internet's a great place for word of mouth. It's the, the place where word of mouth can reach millions of people instead of, you know, the, the hundreds or thousands that you might reach through... Old school word of mouth. Yeah, it's really word of keyboard, isn't it? Mm. Walk. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know where this is going to go. May look, maybe it's a it's a risk he's willing to take, and he may decide to back down on this. You know, in a year or so, when he finds that it doesn't work. On the other hand, I could be you know in a year's time, I might look back on this podcast and and think, oh, it it, it did work. How could I have been so skeptical? Mm. But at the moment, I, I just can't. I really can't see it working. Simply because it's been tried before, it's been tried many, before. many, many times. Yeah, many yeah. times. With these sorts of sites, which are offering, you know, information or a service, which there are, you know, many, many different places you can go to get exactly the same service. If the site suddenly starts charging for it, because there are so many other places you can get that information, people just go on to the other ones. They just move on. Whereas, as we, as you said, the Wall Street Journal is a niche. Yeah, there is no other place you can go to to get that level of information. And so, yes, they can put a charge around that, a subscription, and they will draw people into that because people still need to get that information. But just, you know, find out what happened in the world's news or local news. There are dozens of places. It's just become a commodity, really. It's become yeah. a commodity, really, isn't it? Mm. Uh, he's, Murdoch seems a little anti, anti-blogger, anti-podcast. Murdoch is very anti-free. Murdoch doesn't like free. He doesn't like that at all. <laughs> oh, well, it makes you wonder why he's invested in, in all these media outlets knowing, you know, you know, 10 years ago, surely we, you know, a lot of people saw that the internet, you know, saw the potential of the internet and, and the, you know, and how it's going to be, affect the news media you mm-hmm. kind of wonder why he continued to you know keep his his level of interest in in these media outlets it's kind of like i wouldn't invest in the music industry right now to be honest well not with, yeah. their, not with their current mindset anyway put it that not way not with their current mindset so I, I wouldn't invest in online and sorry in media either yeah but the people who invested in the time where the money was made they're not willing to give up the fact that they used to make huge amounts of profit out of their 
traditional media sources. Well, do you think that's what that that's Murdoch's mindset? That you know he he was making X amount so many years ago, and he expects to be able to do, to do the same simply using a different medium. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all. It wouldn't surprise me at all. But if you look at it, they're coming in with wanting to charge for everything, provide subscriptions, access all their information. And it comes hot on the heels of them making a loss. <laughs> News Corp coming in with a rather significant net loss for the year compared to the year before because of the huge downturn in advertising and the other things because of the, um, you know, the global recession. Although it kind of seems odd because in a, in a recession, you're less likely to get punters willing to hand yeah, over their credit cards. You are less likely to get punters to hand over their money for something that they could have gotten for free um, or could get for free because of the, the, the downturn. People are looking at what they're spending their money on and going, can I do without that? And he may very well find that people can quite happily do without reading news online or reading the newspaper <laughs> because of the cost of it. And it's one of those things they can give up in this current environment. Good on him for trying, I'll say that. Well, if he doesn't try, well, if they don't try, they, they won't know. But once they've tried, if it succeeds, good for them. If it fails, let's hope they work out something, maybe bring it back. Because... One thing they can't afford to do is besmirch their names. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot at stake. Mm. This is kind of going to be interesting. Well, you know what we could do? We could start doing a podcast for news. How's that? I'm sure there are so many already, but, you know, it could be the boys of news. <laughs> 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 we could. What We'd have to spend <laughs> a lot longer. <laughs> news, news Corp, the free edition. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little on the nose, but tempting, isn't it? Tempting, but we'd have to source the news. Well, yeah, that's true, and yeah, that's, so <laughs> unfortunately, we both have day jobs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh well. In the UK, a man by the name of Ken Stanborough had his daughter's iPod, and it, it caught fire. It exploded. Now we've we've seen these before. That's that's not new. We we know the risks of lithium-ion batteries, but what makes this a story is the way that Apple handled it. They complained to Apple and their response was, yeah, we're happy to settle, but here's a non-disclosure agreement. So in other words, sign this, be quiet, don't tell a soul, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll, you know, we'll settle. And of course they said no. They said, well, no, we're not, we're not going to be silenced for the rest of our lives on this. Is, this. is this standard practice, do you think, for companies to behave, behave that way? I would say probably yes. Oh. <laughs> if you've got a lot to lose... By having one of your products named and shamed for some reason, you're going to not want it getting out there. You want to handle it silently so that it doesn't damage the reputation of the product. Yeah, but surely if they've gone, went to them and said, oh, look, here, that's fine. Here's your money. No worries. Surely they'll just go along their merry way and we'd, we'd be none the wiser. Indeed. It did backfire significantly in this case. <laughs> that's for sure. There's been a lot more publicity around the fact that uh, Apple tried to put a you know a, a cone of silence over the fact that a, one family's iPod exploded. I suppose your argument is this: that if the plan worked, in other words, if they signed and nothing was said, then well, that's good for Apple, isn't it? 
that is good for Apple. Yeah, it keeps their product out of the news in a negative way. However, it completely backfired. And not only has it highlighted the fact that her iPod exploded, it has highlighted the fact that Apple tried to hush them up about it. So two bad strikes against Apple there. It's kind of a scary story too when you look at the the details. Basically, he was holding the iPod. Well, he initially dropped it and that may have had something to do with it. He he dropped it uh, and not long after that, he was holding it and he could feel it getting hotter and hotter. And then he started seeing vapor. So he, he threw it out the back door and within 30 seconds, there was a pop, a big puff of smoke and up it went 10 foot in the air. <laughs> That's actually that really scary. Been, Imagine if that, that was in his pocket. something to watch. Yeah. Well, indeed. If that had been in his pocket and it started making hissing noises, you would assume he would get that thing out of his pocket as fast as possible. But yeah, that could have done some serious damage. Having seen some after photos of you know the mangled mess of the iPod, it basically popped itself open like a clamshell with the explosion. That could have done some serious, serious damage to oh, anyone. Oh, yeah. Oh, near. yeah. That could have been a lawsuit, perhaps, or that at least could... if it was in the US. I'm not quite sure how the British system works. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure how the British system would work. Wouldn't be a lawsuit here. <laughs> no, probably not. ACC. I think that might be one of those <laughs> only in America sorts of deals. <laughs> but, but certainly, uh, what, what's for sure is that is that this thing is, as you said, I'm I'm looking at a, at a picture right now. This is, it's completely mangled. You mm. you can't even tell it was an iPod, really. No. <laughs> Apart from I its ha- approximate size and shape, and that's it. But you yeah, can't, I thought you can't it was some t- sort of case or something that was being held open. But no, it's the split in half iPod. So is this just the lithium-ion battery thing we were seeing some time ago with Dells and also MacBooks as well? Or? Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if it is uh, another fault in the battery. Because they really have been pushing, not not Apple, but just in general, the technology you know, has been really pushing batteries a lot for, for getting more and more power in less and less space. Yeah, The, the densities that they're driving is, is huge and, of course, the risks for, for shorting out and and lithium's very reactive, so I don't know if it's to do with that or if it's just that Apple has very poor design in its in its equipment. I think it is more, yeah, as as you said, it's it's more around that battery, and we all know that they don't make their batteries; they use other people's batteries, and they've just been having some really bad batches of batteries. As you said, it, lithium is very reactive and poorly made battery. That's can allow lithium to react with something else is going to cause a problem. Well, I certainly won't be keeping my iPod in my pocket, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I won't be keeping my iPod in my pocket either. <laughs> Scary stuff. All right, still on Apple, uh, some good news this time. Well, actually, it depends how you view this, really. Yeah, it's, <laughs> this, one, this one's one of those grey areas. It's, 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 it's cool, but then it's not cool. <laughs> All right, so what are we talking about? We're talking about the patent that Apple has applied for. And basically, in a nutshell, it's to effectively create the equivalent of an aeroplane's black box for electronic devices such as iPhones and iPods. You might be thinking, why would you do that? And it's kind of stemming from the fact that Apple do get a lot of returns on these products. And to be fair to Apple, a lot of the time... It's not their fault. It's exactly, it's not their fault. It's people that have dropped their iPhone, said nothing, or perhaps put it through the washing machine, dried it out, said nothing, then gone to Apple and said, oh, look, it just stopped working. 
Mm. And it's very, very hard for people, for manufacturers like Apple to to determine was this product abused or is it really a manufacturing fault? That's what they're doing. They, well, that's what they've applied for, a patent to have sensors for you know heat sensors, shock sensors, uh, liquid sensors, and record the environment in which the device is subjected. And mm. yeah, and next time when someone takes, when a customer takes the product in, they can look at the, the so-called black box and examine how the product was treated. Yeah. What yeah. do you make of that? Do you think this is a good thing? I, well, yeah, I think it's really quite neat, actually. <laughs> I know it's probably quite a shock. <laughs> but, yeah, I think it's a really neat thing and I, yeah, completely agree. A lot of RMA, you know, repairs and maintenance returns are because the person was doing something they shouldn't have been doing with that device and it broke you know stacking your iPhones on one on top of the other <laughs> on your chair so that you can stand on them and reach the thing in the top shelf uh, <laughs> and then going oh crap it, it broke the screen I, I, I'll just take it back because it's still under warranty <laughs> the warranties cover certain things <laughs> And they aren't using your phone as a doorstop or, you know, putting your phone through the wash or stuff like that. Exactly. And some of them are really hard to tell. That That's why, isn't it? They're, they're mm. really hard to tell on examining the device, whether it's been subjected to such conditions or whether it's uh, stopped working for, for no good reason. Yeah. So you wouldn't mind having a device with that recorded, you know, in, in, stuff in a black box? Not really. Not in this particular, uh, not this particular circumstance. As long as it didn't make it cost any more. Well, yeah. That's yeah, a, whatever. <laughs> that is a cost. <laughs> this particular device should be a cost of the manufacturer and not a cost to the consumer. Yeah, but we all know whenever a manufacturer has a cost, it effectively is the consumer that pays because it always has to get passed down somehow. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it'll be built into new costs of whatever the next generation thing is. But look, I'm with you on this one. I think this is fine as well. I, you know, a lot of people have been criticizing this, and I would too if it recorded personal data, like, you know, what you put on your. Your, your iPhone or your iPod and where it came from and whether it's been DRM'd or not or whatnot. Yeah. Uh, you know, if it was recording personal things, absolutely, I'd be saying, look, no way. I'm There's no way I'm buying an iPhone or an iPod ever again. But this no. is not doing that. This is simply recording the temperatures, the, the humidity, the, the shocks, the, the, the G-force. Yeah. yeah, the G-force. It's, that's fine. That's it's, fine. Yeah, it's recording the physical usage properties. And it's not like it's going to ever be able to, you know, continuously record. No, it'll <laughs> run out of space, exactly. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. We've got, yes, terabyte drives are coming down massively in price, but there's the cost of storage for anything, any device like this is going to be significant. So it's, it's only going to be recording the last, you know, little bits before it turns itself off. It's funny because a lot of people are, are sort of thinking that this is a big brother thing, and it's it's it's. I don't. I honestly don't think it's that. I, I just think it's no, no. This is no. This is more the the watchful store clerk who's going. You did open that box of cereal. Yeah. You should buy it now. Yeah, exactly. It's just it's just giving them enough to be able to to be fair, really. I think that's yeah. what that's where you know and and look let's face they it they are being ripped the, off the, exactly the people who are dropping their iPods and taking them in under warranty claiming that just stop for no reason are actually costing us more money because Apple have to recover those costs 
Yeah. Uh, that's all built into the price and the purchase price. So we as consumers end up paying more because people try and take Apple for a ride. So in a way, this this may well help help drive down costs. Yeah, and it will help bring in the because people aren't people don't pay for all those extended warranties which cover extra extraneous things like the accidental dropping of your cell phone while you're on a ladder or you know immersing it in some water <laughs> accidentally while it was in your pocket while you were swimming. There's a, a market for extended warranty and coverage for those sorts of extraneous things, insurance sorts of things and that's what should be covering those replacements it's not the manufacturer's warranty which is the warranty on the reliability of the device itself which most of these are you know returns are coming under the other part of this the story is the fact that it is a patent so you know if, if anyone else if other manufacturers want to do the same thing in a similar way they'll really have to to license this from apple so it's kind of good news for apple in that sense yeah, yeah, it's it's a uh, uh, surprise. Nobody had ever thought of it before. Yeah, because the it, technology just wasn't there, so nobody thought to to apply for a patent for it. black yeah. box. Yeah, because black box has been around for you know donkey's years. Well, that's true. But uh, nobody about yeah. yeah actually building a black box for a device <laughs> out for a consumer level device. It's a brilliant idea. Yeah, I think so too. So all the naysayers are just really jumping up and down for no reason. Yeah, because they're the people who drop their phones and try to get it repaired or replaced under warranty. <laughs> Absolutely. Adobe is going to move its low-end Photoshop software online. They're completely discontinuing their Photoshop album starter edition and the alternative is the, the online service through photoshop.com. Well, I'm going to jump in here and say that this is fantastic. I'll tell you why. Because for a low-end product like like this one that you just mentioned, that is a perfect opportunity to move that online. Stuff, you know, the stuff that you'd use semi-regularly, but you don't really need an install and you don't necessarily want to buy the new version when it comes out and again and again. This, yeah. is, this is a perfect example of how online software can actually work. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree. You know, all the upgrades are done on the back end. Yeah. Uh, so the service, and it is free, a free photo editing solution. It's not, you're going to have to start paying for it. Well, it is for now, but. Well, yeah, it's, it's free sure. for now. They, they might start charging for it later. I suspect they will, but you're right. They haven't said that. So Yeah, but it does. It, it has all of those brilliant benefits of it'll always be up to date. It'll always be have new features and those sorts of things because it's available online. Whereas, as we know, with a lot of different applications from different companies out there, you buy a version of a piece of software. You don't go buy. You don't go and buy Photoshop. You buy Photoshop version six, and then you will get several point upgrades for bug fixes and those sorts of things for free. But when they come out with Photoshop seven. You have to buy it again. But with this, all of those different versions, iterations they may go through, it's all there and it's always there. So it's a brilliant thing. That and just some of the features that they've packaged around their online service, the free storage space for uploading your stuff that you're editing and working on. It's like, what, two gigs or so? 
it's not a huge amount when you think of um, storage space these days, but that's that's a huge number of photos. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, now this is Adobe's really getting into the space quite well, actually. That yeah, that, that, it's it's got so much potential. Just think of the people out there who you know, when you're off traveling around and you're on vacation, you're taking all of these photos. And you want to quickly get them up onto, you know, onto Facebook or YouTube or Flickr or wherever it is that you're putting them. Uh, but you need to crop them or do any of those sorts of editing. Well, instead of, you know, lugging around Photoshop on your netbook or your laptop that you've taken with you, you've just upload it to this Photoshop.com, do your editing, do your cropping, resize the things, and then boom, put them up on Flickr, put them up on Facebook or wherever it is you're going to put them. This is going to be good. The other part to it, of course, I think, or I suspect, is that Adobe are simply wanting to get people used to the software as a service concept. Yep. You know, I think that's what it's a lot of it's about. You know, once they get people hooked on and used to the fact that you know you don't have to have every piece of software installed on your desktop. Now, that's not to say that there aren't reasons why you might need that for different types oh, of software, and indeed there are. Indeed, you know, sure. You wouldn't want to be doing software as a service online for the full version of Photoshop, the amount of processing no, power that exactly. Thing. Too much number crunch. No, it yeah. just wouldn't work. You're right. So there are good, valid times when you need software on your desktop, but there are also great candidates for software provided online, and this is a great example. So I think they're kind of getting people used to that, that idea, and then Adobe may well launch other products. I can imagine their their PDF creator would, would be a great online candidate as well mm. or, or at least as as an option uh, depending you know you don't want to be doing confidential documents online but at least as, a, as an alternative yeah yeah it's, it's the, the the possibility of doing that though uh, then there are a bunch of free different ways of converting and saving stuff as pdf out there available as well well that's yeah there's actually there are in fact i think some online ones already for mm. that uh so yeah who knows but Mm. Oh, I've just read that you're right. The Photoshop.com, it's free to use the free version, which has like two gigs worth of space and stuff. But you can subscribe. You can subscribe and subscribers get access to the exact same application, but they get way more storage and other support and services. You know, but free they don't templates get any, any new functionality though, do they? No new functionality to the actual application itself, but they get extra benefits and stuff around the outside. Yeah, I think it's a it's that it's, value add. That's yeah. that's yeah, that's one of the subscription based methods methodologies which I think is quite good. It is that you don't offer something which is massively cut down for free and to get real usability out of it you have to subscribe. You offer the full thing. You get the full experience of the application for free, but it's all those fringe benefits, the those su- add-ons. Yeah, yeah. The, the add-on support and the add-on services. That's what you subscribe for. So that way you've got a perfectly usable online software for free. And if you want the value-added services, then you pay. Well, good luck to Adobe. I think this is this is a, a good sign. Oh, I think it's a good sign too. And on the subject of software, Open Office is getting ribboned. It is indeed. <laughs> it's caused some controversy in the Open Office um, on the Open Office forums. <laughs> yeah, look, I look. I'll be. I'm. I'm going to be old-fashioned on this and say that I absolutely can't stand 
the Office 2007 ribbon thing that they're going to now put in open office. <laughs> I, I can't stand it. Do you, do, you, <laughs> do, you, do you use Office 2007? I don't use Office 2007. I use Open Office at home. But I I have used Office 2007 and I really liked the ribbon. Oh, really? I oh. did. I liked the way that it categorized. It doesn't work. Sections and it was yeah, easy. Here's, here's, my pro- here's my problem with it. You can't because the sections aren't always mutually exclusive. That they kind of some of them are kind of grey. You know, is something a layout or a format? Now there are some that are very clear, sure, but there are ones that kind of are kind of in the middle, and they only put it in one place, so you have to know to go. There. It's just ah, oh, <laughs> look, I sorry, I I don't think it works. Get rid of it. Bring back menus, or, or am I just being old fashioned? I think you're just being old fashioned. You fuddy duddy. Well, maybe you're right because Open <laughs> Office reckon that the ribbon is the way to go, and it's about that user experience. Once again, it's make, making things easy for the person to use, and a lot of open source software, specifically, has suffered majorly from terrible user interfaces. Yeah, that's that's They've got true. great software, brilliant backends. They do everything you could ever want, but when you stick it in front of somebody, they you need to be a rocket scientist or the person who designed it to be able to actually make it do all of the wonderful things it can do because the user interface was so badly thought up. Yeah, you're bang on there. That's, a, that's absolutely true. There's, there's so many – I've seen that many, many times before. It, yeah, as you said, fantastic piece of software under under the hood, but, oh, man, you can't you can't use it. Yeah, you menus just everywhere can't get and, it to work and to yeah. do its thing. And menus, yeah, menus everywhere, things categorized where you really wouldn't think they would have been categorized. And oh, it's – so, so the you, ribbon, the the ribbon helps with that. It brings things together. It puts them into places, and yeah, it does sort them out. But it takes up a lot of space. It does take up a lot of space to to get a good user interface. You are putting a lot of stuff in people's faces, um, and to make it you know significantly easy to use, you want to put as much stuff in people's and as many of the functions easily available to the person who's using it but it does take up a heck of a lot of space so having the ability to turn it off when you don't want to use it is a good thing or you know bringing in some of that awesome functionality that they use for the, the in the dock <laughs> where it disappears when your mouse ain't near it but when you go up to it there it comes oh the auto hide kind of thing yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah it's auto hiding auto showing up as you're moving the mouse along bringing up the different parts and then it just minimizes and tucks itself neatly away. That would be brilliant. So you think the, the ribbon is, is the interface of the future for software? I wouldn't say it's the interface of the future. I think it's a good interface, but it, it you know, you wouldn't put it on everything. There are some things which it would just be overkill. Like calculator. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Having the ribbon and calculator would be overkill. And there are, as you said, it is. it takes up a heck of a lot of space. And there are some applications which have a huge amount of features or, or options. And you really wouldn't want to try and do a ribbon for those because there would just be no 
you'd have a ribbon which was half your screen width <laughs> to accommodate all yeah. of, to accommodate all of the features even nicely categorized <laughs> it would take up so much space that it would be a really silly idea but for for the applications that it suits it's a brilliant user interface in my opinion well i have criticized the ribbon you know before and I, 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 maybe you're right maybe it is me because everyone who's used it and I, I, I kid you not, every single person that I've spoken to who've used Office 2007, they say it's absolutely fantastic. Okay, it takes a while to get used to, but once you're, you've got it sussed, that's it. There's no going back. So maybe I just haven't quite made that leap yet and I'm just afa- afraid to jump. I think that's my maybe, problem. Maybe, maybe you are. Well, <laughs> at least for Open Office, on all the screenshots I've seen, they have both the ribbon and the your traditional menu bar. Well, that's a, that's a nice transition, actually. Mm. Yeah, that that could be a nice transition for someone like me, where you have to, you go up to the menu, even though you can see the item in the ribbon just next to it, and then slowly I'll decide, oh, yeah, maybe I'll try the one there that's already in view. I'll make that <laughs> leap. Indeed, I'll be the daring. button that's just so slight, ever so slightly closer to where the mouse is, <laughs> that's right. instead of going all the way to the top to the menu. <laughs> it will drag you kicking and screaming into the ribbon age. <laughs> just don't ribbon Facebook, all right? Because then I really won't use it. <laughs> uh, does Facebook already have? Well, Facebook's got widgets all over the place. I wouldn't even know what it looks. Like. I just see the front page. <laughs> that's all I see. sign in now don't no, go away goodbye alrighty <laughs> Brett look that, that is our show for this week nothing happened in New Zealand this week so that's it that's our show awesome right thank you very much for hosting it with me always fun don't forget to visit our website at boysoftech.com you can also leave comments there against our episodes so that's our show for this week episode 29 wrapped up see you all again next week for episode 30 till then bye bye see you later